everyone and welcome to the third episode in our editing podcast series. Today we'll be talking about working in-house as an editor versus working as a freelancer with our guest expert Catherine Zagoras. Hi Catherine, how are you? Hi Billy, how are you? I'm fine, thanks. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your expertise. Mm-hmm. Um, where are you at the moment? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, at the moment, well, I'm Australian, okay, so I was born and raised in Australia, did my studies there, moved to Greece, was going to move back home, fell in love, got married, <laughs> and ended up staying here and having three kids. <laughs> and I'm Incredible. in southern Greece, which is quite nice this time of the year. So how long have you been there for? How long have you been in Greece? <gasps> oh, I'd say 30 years now. Really? Showing my age there, but yeah, 30 <laughs> years, yeah. Somewhere so there, it's definitely yeah. home. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely. Well, I look, I do miss Australia a lot, okay? Mm-hmm. But, you know, once you're settled in a place and you've got your home and your family and your dog there, you really can't move easily, so. Yeah. yeah. Do you go <laughs> sometimes to visit or? Well, we were supposed to go um, a few years ago, but I ended up getting pregnant with my third son. And then when we were go- ready to go back, COVID broke out, so. We're hopefully going to get back then this year or maybe next year. We'll see. No, no. Yeah. I've never been to Australia. It's still on the oh, list. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. You've got to go. You've which, got to go. Which part is it? Sydney. From? I'm from Sydney, from New South Wales. Beautiful. Sydney side is by the sea. Every, You know, it's beautiful. Just gorgeous. Amazing. Yeah. And Greece as well. Another beautiful place oh, to yeah. live in. I, I'm, look, I'm really lucky despite, you know, the chaos here. It's very chaotic here. But anyway, um, it is. It's very beautiful. Um, I'm very close to the Ionian Sea, so I've got all the Ionian Islands. But even the land, like, you know, the road trips that we take, it's just beautiful. But the yeah. UK is just as beautiful. I think that each country has its own beauties. Definitely, yeah. yeah. And it's important to explore where you yeah. live as well. I think people don't do enough, but maybe during yeah. um, the last yeah. few years, people have done a bit more. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so what's your sort of ELT background? What What's your experience with editing and things like that? Okay, well, look, um, look. all my life I wanted to work in publishing, even as a kid. But then when I moved to Greece, that was a bit difficult because I lived in Patras and all the major publishing houses were in Athens. So I opened my own foreign language school and um, – I wrote a lot of material for my own classes because we felt, I found that with courses there's always something missing. And look, we're talking now back about 20 years ago, we didn't have the digital platform to be able to download material, so there was a lot of material written in-house. And what happened is one day a rep- representative from Macmillan came. Back then it was called Heinemann, okay, and he saw the work and he said, well, you know, why don't you come to the offices in Athens and we can set something up. But my school was really big. I had a family. I was also teacher training at the same time, so it was just too difficult for me to get away from the school. And so yeah. I let that opportunity go. And then um, <clears throat> then um, another a Pearson person arrived, Evistathopoulou, and um, you might know her because she's very popular among Pearson. And she introduced me to Monica Berlitz, who's wonderful. And they saw my work and they offered me a teacher's book. Um, I think it was in English Adventures. And that's how it all began. But on the interim, I had also won the Macmillan Lesson Share twice. Okay. And I wrote, I, I won the teacher to write a competition run by ELT publishing professionals. Okay. I won mm-hmm. that. So that helped me, you know, boost my profile. And I did give away a lot of free stuff then on LinkedIn. And mm-hmm. then slowly, all, all of a sudden, I found myself um, with lots of um, – lots of work and I ended up closing the school because I, I you know I just wanted to be in publishing all my life and it came it happened 
That's amazing to have the dream and then to eventually yeah. do it, you know, which didn't sound like it took too long to, to get there either. You know? No, no, it didn't. It didn't. But I was lucky because I had done the lesson share. I met the right people at the right time. I think it's, you know, the thing yeah. where they said the universe is listening. But it's also, you know, when you're creating your own material and then when you're actually asked to write material because you've got the experience and you've got the classroom experience, it's much easier to do. And so, but I've been very lucky and I've met wonderful people along the way. So. So, so you you started obviously teaching, and then so you were writing and editing. Do you still do writing now, or is it more sort of editing? That you do? Um, before I went in house, because as you know, as of December, I went in house with Aleph Education. Yeah, I did. I did. I did a mixture of both. I did a mm-hmm. lot of writing, and I did a lot of editing as well. It was look, there were times when there were a lot of writing jobs. I turned it away because I just got bored, and you know, you can't always be creative. And you just yeah. get tired and I, you don't want to repeat yourself when you're writing. So if an editing job came along, I'd take on the editing job. And what I like about editing is you get to see new ideas. You get to see how creative the writer is. And you're also learning along the way. So, yeah, I, I was a bit of both. That's a, That's a really nice way of thinking about it because mm. I write and I've never edited because I always think that I wouldn't be a good editor because I sometimes my attention to detail might be a bit awful. Do you know what I mean? Because like yeah. you said, you're trying to be creative all the time. Maybe your mm. brain isn't 100% focused on what you're doing all the time. Yeah. Whereas everything, I guess, is a different part of your brain, isn't it? So It's, it's a whole different – yeah, because yeah. – I don't know, you know, um, teaching helped me because when you're a teacher, you have to grade and mark all these compositions and activities and that showed me how to think critically. So when you're editing, mm-hmm. actually thinking critically and looking at the activity, is it working? Does it work? Is it on level? Is it this? Is it that? And so it's a whole different process whereas when you're writing, you're you're more creative but at the same time, don't forget with ELT, you do have to think, does this activity work? Do I have to rewrite it? You know, which picture's going to work? Am I doing this correctly? So it's a bit of both, I think. Yeah. And you said you're working in house at the moment. So um, yeah. who are you working for? Okay, I um I'm really lucky with this one again. Um, I'm working for Aleph Education. They're a digital um educational publisher. Okay, everything's digital, and um, they do a lot of stuff with science and math. Fantastic material unbelievable material and now we've just opened the ELT department which is going really well challenging I can say because it's not traditional print so Mm -hmm. everything's online and we have to be very um, focused on how we can present something that's usually done on paper on the digital platform but it's a fantastic experience and I'm really lucky because I've got really good um, people working with with me and my lead's fantastic and the managers are really good so yeah that's really good. And and what would you say are the main differences between you working in house as an editor and working as a freelance editor? Are they quite oh, similar or oh, okay, freelancing you get to nap and you get to sleep <laughs> in, okay. Um, <laughs> I think they're just as challenging because if you're a professional, you always want to show your best and you want to do your best. So um, I really think the challenges are the same. The only challenge with being in-house is that you've got to double and triple check the manuscript before it goes off to print or off to production. Okay. So you've just, so the freelancer doesn't have that much of a struggle or that much of a challenge in front of them. But then mm-hmm. again, if you're a professional, you do have it. Okay. So I really think it's how you work and how you come mm-hmm. across. The only downside of being in-house is that, you know, you've got to book all your appointments 
you know, outside working hours, um, mm-hmm. of course. And uh, whereas with freelance, you know, you're free, you can take the day off to work, you can um, you, you can just um, go to your friend's take have a coffee break which I really miss but I'm going to be honest the place that I work they do give you mental health days off so it's that's great yeah so there's no real problem there for me at the moment at the moment and is it a remote position that you do so you at can the work? moment yeah at the moment yeah. yeah but I do we do have to have our hours but that's what I found enough to, I've spoken to a lot to a lot of my freelancers friends about it it's actually more, I'm more disciplined now because when you're a freelance, you sort of think, oh, I've got the whole day ahead of me. I've got the whole morning ahead of me. You know, and then, and then come around 3 o'clock, you think, oh, God, I haven't done anything. <laughs> you know? And so you're racing. Whereas now I think I'm just a bit more disciplined because, I, you know, I know mm-hmm. that I have to get things out in a certain time. And how are you finding, because obviously you're going, I, I don't know, but mm-hmm. perhaps as a freelance you maybe had less meetings, maybe you worked on your own a little bit more, um, how are you finding the shift to maybe more online meetings and working? Yeah, uh, the meetings are a problem, but I'm going to say the truth now. Actually, the meetings that we have now, I can see that as a freelancer, if I had them, I'd have I'd actually be working better. Yeah. Because the thing about being a freelancer is that you're lonely, you're on your own. And, you know, it's not nice to constantly send messages to your managing editor, your, to your editor, to your writer every time you spot something that's wrong. So you have to yeah. go through the manuscript, make a list, and then send it on. But because, you know, um, sorry, because on um, in-house we can have all these meetings, you just mm-hmm. we actually get more work done, I would say, even despite mm-hmm. the meetings. Yeah. That's true. That's true. And I guess you have a set sort of – outlook on your day you know what you're going yeah. to be doing today whereas perhaps a freelancer at times might be looking for work or updating yeah. their cv doing all of these things you know that's the thing with um freelancer the stability you don't really know what the next project's going to be and if you're lucky enough you can book out the whole year like i was lucky enough to be able to do that like i'll be able to book about six months in advance but then what and then three months in into what you're doing you think oh my god I don't have any work set up for September so you're going back to panic stations whereas now you've got the stability and you do you have the whole day planned out and the whole year so you know exactly what's coming up ahead but that's a good thing but but as I said the personal freedom is a bit of an issue after you know you've worked for so many years as a freelance Mm-hmm. But then the discipline is the the flip side of that, yeah. which is the benefit. Yeah, because like I know now that you know I I switch off at four thirty. Say I'm I'm switched off, and you know, mm-hmm. of course, there are times when you work overtime. That's normal. I mean, that's with any job, whether you're freelance or not. But you're just a bit more disciplined now. And um, and another thing that I want to say about the meetings, it's actually you get to know people much better now and you, you, you've you got a good team and you've got a good support system behind you. You don't have that as a freelancer all the time. And mm-hmm. I'll always remember, um, you must know Susanna Reed. She's my moaner and groaner. I would always moan and groan to her or to, uh, <laughs> to Nicole Gardner. I would always call her and say, oh, this is, this is happening. It's <laughs> so like – you know, we do. You, as a freelancer, you do need a network, but unfortunately, you have to set it up by yourself, and it's a bit hard. Exactly, yeah. I hundred percent know what you mean, and yeah. Um, yeah, I think every freelancer's got their person that they contact to ask a little grammar question. Yeah, everyone's going through the same sort of mental headspace that you are at the time, like yeah. you said, with planning work and finances and things. Yeah. Um, so, when you're editing, what's your personal process? What do you normally do? Okay, when I'm editing, I always take the manuscript and I read through it first, okay, because mm-hmm. 
I want to see exactly where the rider is going with, with it, okay? Because I once made a few times at the beginning, I would make the mistake of getting into it and start editing an activity saying, oh, you know, this doesn't work and you've got to change it. And then when I go down the line, I think, oh, that's why she's done, say, activity A like this, because it works uh, as a whole. It, it, it all ties up. So yes. I always read through the the manuscript first. Of course, I do make notes, anything that stands out, like, you know, that things maybe the writer has missed, which is okay. We all do that. And then the second time I sit down, that's when I really drill into the work and I go into dip and I nitpick and I, I've got my brief open and um, I'm always, you know, uh, telling the writer where the mistake is and why it's not right according to the brief, quoting the actual page. And then I, I put it aside if I'm lucky enough to be able to put it aside, say, for the day and come back to it the next mm -hmm. day, finish it off and send it off to the writer. But what I always do, what I always do is I always start at the top with a big box. I mean, the writers probably have a heart attack when they see it. But anyway, it's a big <laughs> box of global comments of everything they missed. And I explain to them, it's just a checklist so that when you go back, you've made sure that you've done it all. And, I've, and a lot of the writers, they come back to me or they say, okay, look, at first that scared us, okay, <laughs> we're about to run away. But it, it actually helps them tick the boxes of what they need to um, – what they need to work on so that's that's how yeah. I would yeah yeah I think that's really important um mm. because then they can use that going forward you know and then it's a quick easy reference say they're writing a second unit and you fed back on the first unit they can just look at that box use it as the checklist going forward yeah. as well so that's really helpful yeah and I guess do you think having your experience of writing sort of for less and share and things like that do you think that has helped you as an editor oh definitely definitely you know um because you, you get to see, you get to understand what the writer is trying to do and mm -hmm. then you get to edit. Like I always think as a writer first because I want to see, okay, I'm just trying to get into the philosophy of, you know, what the writer is thinking and then you go into the editing. Um, as an editor, I've also been lucky enough to actually talk to a lot of the writers. Like I would set up meetings where we would actually discuss things. Mm -hmm. just so you get to know the writer because, you know, you're on the other side of the world or on a screen and, you know, you want to make the relationship a little bit personal. Not, I'm not saying you're going to become best friends with them, but just to get to know them so you can understand how what their process is too and that helps Definitely. helps you along as you work as well. Definitely, yeah, of course. Mm. Um, also just to know, like, whether they have experience writing this in the first place or yeah. not. As you said, you're working for a digital digital yeah. only company so if it's someone's first foray into digital perhaps yeah. they might need a little bit more hand-holding as yeah, well exactly yeah and you know yeah. you've you've always and as an editor you've always got to be there to support your writer um mm -hmm. because I found when I first came started as a writer I, I really found it annoying when the editor would just say oh change this or this isn't working change the activity without them actually saying you know, mm -hmm. how they want me to change it. So now when I'm editing, I always make sure, A, to support the writer, okay, and B, to give to suggest, give them ideas on what they can do, mm -hmm. okay, because th that makes your life easier because you're telling the writer exactly how you sort of want it to go or how it should be going. And the writer has understands what you're after and, you know, how it all should work. Mm -hmm. That was going to be my next question, actually. Yeah. Would you say that's your style of feedback, like offering suggestions if perhaps something doesn't work rather than just saying, this doesn't work, can you think of something else? Always suggest, always. Otherwise, you know, the writer can come back to you and say, I don't understand, so you're just losing time. 
And, you know, mm-hmm. you don't, we don't have time to waste and we just want to make everyone's experience positive and happy. So just yeah. suggest, of course, though, as an editor, you've got to be open to what the writer is producing and you've got to respect what they're doing and you've got to be open to listening to their perspective because I've had a lot of writers who have pointed out, they'll say to me, no, your idea won't work because of A, B, C and D and they're right and they're mm-hmm. right and then you can fight for them in-house to get that mm-hmm. idea pushed along and another thing I always do thanks to Melissa Bryant um, Melissa Bryant would always put little smileys on the in the comments and that helps because you know it's it's you know comments are quite cold and you don't understand how the other person's you know coming across so I like to put smileys too and you always always say something positive about the work yeah, You've got to do that, especially if they're going to open a file with 150 comments <laughs> down the line. Exactly. So, yeah. so, you know, and you've got to be positive, you know, just make the other person happier, you know. Of course. I was having this exact conversation the other day just about how, as a writer, your <laughs> every day is filled with getting comments on your work and someone's <laughs> yeah. essentially judging your work. So when you get a nice comment, you think, oh, my goodness. Like, yeah, I'm doing it right. Yeah, you really, really appreciate it because it, it doesn't happen very often. Yeah. Luckily, a lot of the editors I've worked with do put smiley faces and things like yeah. you said. It's it's remembering to do that as well, yeah. you know, and seeing it from their perspective if you opened it and see 120 comments. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, yeah. really nice. Yeah, you don't want anyone making a voodoo doll out of you, so just put a smiley face there. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what would your top tips be for giving good feedback? Of course, you said um, saying positive comments as well positive as obviously. Positive comments, okay, positive them. comments. Um, your smiley faces if you can, uh, you know, or just, you know, um, um, you know, be be as positive as possible, okay? And if an activity doesn't work, say it nicely. I mean, there's no need to put an exclamation mark. Oh, my goodness, I once had an editor who just put exclamation marks everywhere. You know, it's not nice because, you, you know, they, you don't know how the other person's feeling. You don't know what problems they may have. You know, you don't know what's going on in everyone's life. So, you know, just be nice and, be, and suggest, make a lot of suggestions. That's all there is to it. Suggest, and if you see that they're not doing anything, ask for a face-to-face meeting there with one of your managers, one of your peer managers, just to get it over, you know, just so they can understand what you want from them and how it isn't working. And to be honest, as a writer or even as an editor, if you see that the job isn't going well, ask to be removed because there's no point in going through any project and being unhappy. It doesn't work. Yeah, and, and you're not going to produce your best work, even if you're a writer or an editor. You're just not going to produce the great work. And there's probably someone out there who can work on the project. So, yeah, knowing when to do that, knowing when the project's not right, because then in a way you'd sort of feel like you're giving up, I guess. But if, mm. like you said, you're not producing your best work, it might be the best yeah. way forward. And, you know, and a lot of people, even in house, they respect that. They respect the fact that you say the truth to them that, hey, I can't do this. You know, mm-hmm. it's normal. It's part and parcel of of the, any job. Exactly. So what are some things to be aware of um, when you're editing for different markets? Let's say uh, Europe. Is there anything you need to consider with these markets? Well, look, the difference between, say, the European market and the Middle Eastern market is that um, the cultural sensitivities, okay, that's mm-hmm. the only thing that you've got to be aware of. Now, when you're working with any Middle Eastern company or any Middle Eastern project, um, they do give you a big brief of what, what is acceptable and what isn't acceptable, okay? So mm-hmm. you've just got to take in all those 
cultural um, sensitivities and respect them. The European market is a bit easier to work with because there aren't that many restrictions, of course, but, but even when we are writing for the European market, we have to also take into account um, different religions, different politics, different colours, different ethnicities, and make even that as global mm-hmm. as possible. And um, what's that word? Oh, my God, it's slipped my mind. Um, we accept everyone. What's it called? Like inclusive. Inclusive. No. Inclusive. Yeah. yeah, we've got to be as inclusive as possible, yeah. Mm-hmm. Definitely, yeah. It's important, isn't it, I guess, when you're editing materials as well to, obviously you said you have your brief open mm-hmm. to think about who the market is yeah. or, or who the audience is of the material. Mm-hmm. Yeah, try to be as inclusive as possible and without, however, um, you know, offending any cultural sensitivity of any country. You know, mm-hmm. because I know that I've written for the Greek market. We definitely, although we're, we're European, we do have some cultural sensitivities, just the same as Turkey does, just as Poland does, just as Germany does. Like, you know, they've all got these little things that you can't mention. So you just respect it and move on and try to find a way around it. And would an editor, if they were working with a new market that they hadn't experienced before mm-hmm. or hadn't specialised in, would they be sent a document or some guidelines definitely. or something? Well, with all the publishers that I've ever worked for, now that I'm in-house, we do have a a template like that, yes, always. There's always some sort of cultural sensitivity guide that you have to adhere to. If there is, if you don't have one, I would suggest always asking for one, mm-hmm. always, yeah. Yeah, that's a really good mm-hmm. point for both writers and editors. Both yeah. writers and editors, yes. And what's your uh, background in terms of age group? Is it mostly sort of primary, secondary, maybe when you were freelance as well? With freelance, it was basically primary and secondary. So, yeah, Mm -hmm. um, I did do work for the adult sector, but it was too difficult for me. (laughs) It was just too difficult. I couldn't do it. So I said, no more. Okay, that's it. Let me stick with primary and secondary. Yeah. I guess there's a clearer context and clearer sort of topics and things to think about. Yeah. Yeah. What would be the differences between editing sort of primary and secondary materials? Do you use the same process or? Primary is difficult. Okay, because yeah. you're limited with your language and you're limited with vocabulary. Okay, mm-hmm. so you've got really, you've got to be really careful to be able to present difficult topics such as um, the, the climate, um, endangered animals, technology. You've got to present these really big topics with so little language and vocabulary behind you and at the mm-hmm. same time be as creative as possible. So that's a big challenge but when you move on to the secondary um years it's okay it's a bit easier okay mm-hmm. yeah i would say primary is very challenging but it's exciting as well because it's you you sort of like feel good when you think oh i i did it i managed to get across such a big message with only five words yeah so would you say that sometimes you preferred editing primary when you were freelance yeah yeah i think i, I think i had a better eye for it Mm-hmm. I just think I had a better eye for it because um, when I was asked to write a few primary things, I'm saying, oh, my God, what am I going to do? And I actually saw that in my writing was getting boring and static. Whereas, oh, really? yeah, but when I was editing um, other people's work, I thought, oh, my God, look at this great job that they've done. Because there are, you know, I think that everyone has sort of their niche where they can work. And like you said, with the creativity at the beginning as mm. well, I guess editing, you can you can see other people's creativity and perhaps if you were to write, get ideas that way. But yeah. just coming up with it on your own perhaps is, is gets tiring if you do it all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's amazing some of the fantastic stuff that I've seen as an editor. I'm thinking, wow, how did they come up with it? 
you know, some people just born yeah. to write for primary. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's yeah. true. And I think primary writers te- or editors as well tend to stick to that, don't yeah, they? Because yeah. like you're comfortable in that. And yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so, what are some ways that you would recommend developing yourself as an editor? Um, let's start with maybe your suggestions for for freelancers. What what would you suggest? Okay, um, I would say teach. Okay, I'll tell you why. Mm-hmm. I really think that any editor and writer should have a few teaching years behind them because mm-hmm. it shows you, it, you learn. You learn mm-hmm. how the classroom works. You learn how students really think. You learn mm-hmm. which activities do and don't work, what methodology, methodology does and doesn't work, and you learn how the teacher can actually teach and their struggles so once you've mm-hmm. got all that experience behind you you know exactly how to write and how to edit okay mm-hmm. so I really think it's important to go into the classroom okay if you if you can't do it for a long time because obviously as a freelancer you don't want to lose your content do it on the interim do it part-time go back to the classroom for at least you know three or four months to see it and do it often because we've got to understand that the classrooms are now changing, especially after COVID, okay, and we've really got to go in and see are the digital products that we're producing working? Is the blended classroom working? Does the flipped learning process really work? I mean, you've got to go in and see it because if you don't feel it and if you don't see it and you don't experience it, you're not going to produce quality. You just aren't. Mm-hmm. So that's. So I've heard a lot of people say that about sorry about writers. Like, if you freelance for a long time as a writer, it's important to go back to the classroom. Do you think it applies to freelance editors as yes. well? Then yes, yeah. yes, yes. Because as an editor, you really need to look at an activity to see if it's working or not. Mm-hmm. To see, you know, and sometimes I've seen activities presented. They're great activities, but they just won't work in the classroom. And you yeah. know, we've got to be honest with ourselves. Not everything works. So, yes, yeah. I think everyone has to go back into the classroom at some point to see how things are, are, are working or not working. So if an editor or a writer is creating digital products, mm-hmm. no, what am I trying to say? If a writer or editor is creating digital materials, would you suggest that the online classroom would be a better place for them to go back to teaching than the face-to-face classroom? I think both because don't forget a lot of our face-to-face classrooms now do have digital learning involved okay mm. that's that blended learning sort of thing so they yes they do go into blended learning and at the same time they do try and do some um digital online learning i know that you i'm sure a lot of us have friends who do teach so mm. that's a you maybe you can ask them to be present while they're teaching so you can see what their struggles are for example I'm, i'll be doing that soon with my friend she's um now teaching juniors online and so I've asked her, can I just come into your when you're in one of your sessions so I can see actually what your challenges are, what, what's working, what isn't working? And she has agreed to it, yeah. That's a really good idea, yeah, if you can't teach yourself, just, yeah. just find somebody else, yeah. Hmm. Um, what about, like, how to develop your editing skills? So how did you first know what you were supposed to do when you were given a manuscript? Well, um a, don't be embarrassed to ask, okay? I remember when I was working on um, some similar, you know, on a project with other team members, I asked to see how they're commenting. Mm-hmm. 
I asked to see what they're doing. I would just ask them, and I, they would. I was lucky enough for them to be able to give me their manuscript. But then again, you know, it was within the same project, so you know, you weren't breaking any NDAs. And I actually was able to see how they're commenting, what they were commenting on, and then compare it to what I've commented on. And that way, I was able to see my hit and misses. Okay. Um, of course, I went out and bought, you know, butchers copy editing and the Oxford Dictionary for writers and editors, which always helped me. I did a lot of um, webinars as well. I followed, there weren't that many webinars then as there are now, but I did follow a few. I did take a few classes, but they were for fiction editing. So they really didn't help me with the ELT. So I would say basically I asked a lot mm-hmm. and, um, but, of course, you've got to be careful not to break the NDA. As I said, you've got to be in the same team. And um, I now webinars and just lots of webinars, mm-hmm. yeah. So do you think that – have you seen webinars specifically uh, dedicated to editing? Because I see lots of them about writing and promoting courses. I haven't seen that many for ELT, but I've seen quite mm-hmm. a few for fiction. So when I watch the ones about fiction, there are a few things you can apply to ELT like grammar mm-hmm. and syntax. But other than that, it's just your experience and just talking to other people about it. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Um, and what about the future of VLT editing? What potential changes do you see happening? I think it's going to be more blended. I really think that um, after COVID, we've all had our – we've all learnt our lesson, okay? And um, I don't think print publishing is going to die because, you know, print is tangible you can touch it you can feel it you can smoke it's another experience okay the book's not going to die that just like the kindle didn't kill off the book i don't think digital publishing is going to kill off the you know the the traditional book but i do think that we're going to go more into the uh, more into digital as time moves on and i really think that who knows maybe in the future people will be attending classrooms say if you're living in greece maybe there'll be a classroom and i don't know in, in china that students want to follow and learn elt you don't know that i think that that's, that's where we're going now, a lot of like the blended classroom with more text. That's really interesting. Yeah, definitely. I was thinking, do, like, would you mean like tech in a face-to-face classroom? I guess online learning as well. But, yeah. But what you said is interesting about sitting in one place and perhaps having a teacher or other classmates yeah. in another. I way. think we're going to get there somehow because mm-hmm. because that's what COVID taught us, not to go to school. Mm-hmm. not you know, And it does work if it's – Excuse me, if it's well planned out, planned out, it will work. And if you've got good mm-hmm. content, it will work, I think. And don't forget all these kids, especially my son who's 10 year old, he's all digital. Like, you know, you just ask him about anything. He, he just knows everything. You know, mm-hmm. whereas, you know, sometimes I can't even get my camera to work. And he goes, oh, you're just not doing this, this, and this. And like, oh, God, okay, fine, thanks. <laughs> they've grown up with it isn't it so it's different Um, and and how are your children finding are they have they been having lessons online and are are they are they used Um, to it now or do they prefer face-to-face um they're used to it I would say look my they just miss the social contact they miss their friends but when it comes to the lessons done online um my daughter was happier with it because she was able to concentrate there wasn't that much noise in class my son enjoyed it too, but they all just mm-hmm. missed the social, the social, just like a freelancer misses their social friendship and sort of like, you know, you're standing by the water cooler and saying hello to someone. Yeah. That's really good. That's really, really good. And do you go to any sort of conferences or have you been to any conferences where you've met other editors and like-minded people? Yeah. Um, the LT Away Day in Oxford yeah. when that was open and that was held. Yes, I always went to that. And they also mm-hmm. ran little workshops that I used to go to London to. 
and whatever's online. And LinkedIn, I did a lot. I do a lot of um, I did not because I don't have much time now, but I do a lot of LinkedIn where you know you meet like-minded people and you get to talk to people. Definitely. So I'm that. sure we've probably been at the same conference and we probably just didn't know. Yeah, we just didn't know each other. Yeah, we just yeah. didn't know each other. Yeah. Do you go to IATEFL sometimes? Or? I've been to two or three in the past. There's one that's mm-hmm. happening this year in Greece. I might just go to that one in Crete. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. Is there any LT community where you live? Or? Yeah, there is. There is. Um, there are lots of teachers here who teach English as a foreign language, so mm-hmm. I'm really lucky there. There are a few editors that live nearby a lot that, you know, we keep contact with, we talk with too, you know. It's quite good, yeah. It's unbelievable that's that, good. you know, there are a few just up the road. I think, oh, wow, I didn't know you lived here. Yeah. yeah, I think I think there's little groups everywhere, isn't yeah, there? Yeah, little hubs, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you just don't know until you're there, mm. that's right. Yeah. Um, so we had a listener question in from Catherine Billsborough, mm-hmm. um, and she asked, are you aware of any systems in place for freelance writers and editors to provide feedback to a publisher about their experience of working on a project? No, I don't. That's, that's really interesting. You know, that's a really good idea. I don't, but... I would suggest um, just finding out who the lead on the project is, who the publisher is and who the maybe the managing editor is, contacting them. If you feel mm-hmm. strongly about something, yeah, I think that's a really good idea because I really think freelancers should be heard. And in your experience as a freelancer, did you? how did you round off your projects? Did you – because I know as a writer, like, once I've submitted my final work, that's the end of it. I don't hear anything. Um, <laughs> was it different for you as an editor? Did you ever have sort of a conversation at the end of projects with publishers? Or Not all. Um, sometimes yes, sometimes no. Sometimes it was just a polite thank you for your hard work. Please don't forget to invoice. Sometimes um, yeah, we'd come back and have a really good discussion and, um, you know, what went well, what didn't go well. But I always, at the end of any um, project, I always did ask for feedback especially for negative feedback because mm-hmm. that's where I want to improve. You know, we've got to learn how to take a bit of constructive criticism. Yeah. Some people answered, some didn't. Yeah, um, yeah, we should be heard, yeah. And you should voice your opinions. And and I really think that I, when you show, say, in-house people that you, you want to learn and you're willing to change and you accept um, constructive feedback, you could just get more projects, I think, in the end. Definitely. I think that's really, really useful advice. Yeah. Especially because people, when you're freelancer, you almost feel like you can't ask for that, you know, or that you can't voice your opinion. But actually it's really important going forward so they can take that forward with other freelancers as well. I think the freelancers, you're worried that if you get blacklisted, you won't have any other work and, you know, there's not enough work going around. No, I think the more honest you are, I, I know with, in the past, the more honest I've been with um with managers that are in house, the more work I've received. Mm-hmm. You just got to be That's honest. Good. That's all, yeah. And if something is Definitely. bothering you, say it. Mm-hmm. If you had someone email you and say that, would you be willing to give them sort of feedback? Oh, definitely, definitely, mm-hmm. yeah, of course. Of course, definitely, yeah. yeah. I'll probably ask them, you know, what didn't you like about how I worked? Why not? Definitely. Yeah. I think it's important as well when there's lots of different people involved in a project and mm-hmm. just sort of getting the process down as well, especially if it is something new for a, a publisher or whoever you're working with. Um, 
Yeah, I've heard a couple of people say that sort of thing this week. Oh, there's so many people working on it, but I'm scared to sort of talk about the process because I'm just a freelancer that's been hired, you know. No, so, no, no. Yeah, no, no, you've got to ask. I've got well, look, mm-hmm. I am known to be a sort of like, you know, outspoken. <laughs> so, um, you just got to ask. Yeah. Yeah. You've just got to ask. I mean, how are you going to learn? And don't forget that at the end of the day, the whole team is working to, to produce their best work ever. And by asking, mm-hmm. you're just learning. There's nothing wrong with learning. Um, and are there any other tips, advice or recommendations that you'd make for people perhaps going in-house to freelance or freelance to in-house? Um, <laughs> I don't know. It must be the only paradox because I know that all the in-houses are going now um, freelance. <laughs> Must be the only one that's gone from freelancing to in-house. Um, no, um, the only advice that I would really give, because I'm a real mental health advocate, um, to really take care of your mental health. Okay, it's really important whether you're working as a freelancer or whether you're working in-house. Okay, now don't forget, sometimes as a freelancer, you think that you've got that covered simply because you have the time to do whatever you like. You really don't, because being a freelancer is very is a very lonely and solitary job. So you've got to make sure you have social contact. You've got to make sure you've got you take care of your mental health because you just forget about it. And the same for in-house. In-house just get caught up with all this craziness that's going around to meet the deadline to get to production. And so, you know, you've really got to take care of your mental health. That would be the only thing that I'd say as advice. Please take care of yourself before you take on any job, you know, whether mm. that's freelancing or whether that's um, in-house. And if you don't want to do the job, don't do it. I assure you a better job will come up. It always does. Mm-hmm. You know, and That's great yeah, mm-hmm. don't don't stress about it because it will. You've always got to put yourself first because once you put yourself first, you attract more opportunities because you know where the opportunity is and which one will work for you. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing your expertise, thank advice you. and tips as well. Thank you for having um, me. It's been great. I've definitely learned a lot. Um, Thank you so much. And hopefully we'll speak again. Yeah, thanks. So thanks so much to Catherine for coming on and sharing her expertise. If you have an idea for the show or would like to get in touch, do feel free to send us an email info at eltcpd.com. Until next time. Bye.